Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Glow My God, an official Afterglow podcast serving the hottest takes about what is next in your queue. I am Talisa Trevino, an audio producer here at Afterglow, and I have alongside with me today staff designer Caroline Pastrano and print managing editor of Afterglow, Audrey Vera. Today, we'll be talking about the commodification of Sad Girl Indie. We'll discuss how we got here, the gendered term of Sad Girl Indie, the problems with labeling artists, and reflect on the ways listeners can appreciate Sad Girl Indie music for art again, rather than as a commodity or aesthetic. But before we begin the discussion, we're going to do a mini segment called Save, Skip, and Repeat of the Week, where we'll be discussing music we loved and did not enjoy so much this week. Caroline, would you like to go first? Yeah, so my save for this week would be Head Cheerleader by Pom Pom Squad, which is like, it's like kind of like a fun angsty song, but it's also like pretty upbeat. So it's just like, it's been kind of like the vibe for the week. And my skip would be Between the Bars by Elliot Smith, which I really love, but it's just really sad too. So it's just like, sometimes I just don't want to listen to that. And my on repeat would be Real Love by Big Thief, which is just like one of their best songs. It's always, always great to listen to. Did you go to their concert? Yeah, I did. Did you? No, I wish oh, I Oh, it was really <laughs> good. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah. Okay. And so, Audrey, would you like to go next? Yeah, sure. My save is Figure Eight by Paramore. It's my favorite track from the new album, This Is Why. And that sing- that song particularly is one of my favorites just because it feels like a mix of everything I like about Paramore. It's got like a really strong chorus. It's really fun that be, even though like the song itself is not exactly like a happy one, it's still like a really fun song to listen to. My skip is like less fun. It's Bright Eyes Lifted album. Love this album, but like I'm trying to not be in that mood this week and it keeps popping up in my daily mix for like Rina Sawayama, um, Shy Girl, you get the gist of it, like fun, upbeat pop, and then Connor Oberst is there, so I'm gonna have to skip, at least in the context of me trying to listen to my pop mix. And my on repeat is $20 by Boy Genius. It is my favorite of the three new Boy Genius songs that dropped recently. I really love the harmonies between Julian and Lucy and Phoebe at the very end. Phoebe screaming is also great as usual. It's just like one of my favorite recent Boy Genius songs, and it makes me like the most excited for the album of the three singles. Yeah, definitely really hyped for that album to come out. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? Do you know what date it's supposed to come out on? March 21st. Okay, because I know it's March. Sorry, I just I didn't know exactly really what day. For my play of the week, I'm going to have to say it's See Swallow Me by Cocteau Twins and Harold Budd. Um, I don't know. I just really like that's this song right now because I can't even tell you. I, I just feel like it's one of those songs that's really good to listen to when you're like just walking through campus and you're just like disassociating. I don't know explain it and you're just daydreaming. I don't know explain it, but it's a really, really good song. And for my skip of the week, I would have to say First Love Late Spring by Mitski. I don't think I ever really liked this song. I don't really know why. Like I like it, but I don't like it. And I don't like the chorus, but I don't know why I don't like the chorus. My ears just don't. It's not my favorite. I think I'm kind of over it. I don't know, but it's also a really good song and I feel bad for not for skipping it. But in my repeat, I'm going to have to say In Undertow by Always. This song I listened to in high school, but I never really listened to it all the way through. I think I would always just play it and then I would just skip it after like a, maybe like a minute. I don't really know why. It was just like whatever for me. But recently I decided to actually listen to it all the way through and the ending is the best part. And I feel like Molly ranking like kills the ending. Just like, I don't know, her voice is just so, I don't know. Really, really, really good song. It's been on repeat just so I can get through the song and listen to the ending. That's really the only reason why I'm, I listen to it. So that's all we have for our save, skip, and repeat. And now we're gonna get into the topic about the commodification of Sad Girl Indie. <laughs>
Sad Girl Indie is a cultural subgenre of music that falls under the alternative genre branch of indie women and femme artists whose lyrics feature topics of heartbreak, loneliness, and trauma, often but not always paired with melancholic instrumentation. While the music behind the subgenre has been around for quite a long time, with artists labeled for their sad girl sound like Joni Mitchell and Karen Dalton in the 1970s, and artists like Fiona Apple and Mazzy Starr's Hope Sandoval in the early to mid 1990s, Sad Girl Indie has created almost a new wave in the mid to late 2010s to early 2020s, with artists in this category like Phoebe Bridgers, Lucy Dacus, Julian Baker, Mitski, Snail Mill, and many, many more. This new wave is vastly accredited to social media platforms paired with the creation of the sad girl aesthetic, which has become more normalized and even used to term makeup trends, clothing style, and even our topic, which is music. To start off, uh, what are everyone's thoughts on the sad girl aesthetic as a whole? Not just like, you can talk about the music, but also just as a whole. I think it's kind of interesting that like, the sad girl aesthetic really had like, kind of its day on Tumblr like a decade ago. And I think it's kind of interesting how it's like suddenly coming back. And like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I thought like we learned to like stop romanticizing mental illness, but like, I guess not. I like feel a very similar way. Like I think we we saw this on Tumblr early on with Lana Del Rey, Marina, people posting lyrics to Teen Idol, that whole like sort of thing. But then like I feel like the whole thing is like making an aesthetic out of sad girl thing. It doesn't feel like like it's raises like any like good conversations about sadness, but depression. It feels like we're just like romanticizing it and like making it look glamorous when it really like is not. I don't think like post of like somebody's actual bedroom looking messy like after like a depressive episode that that does not look aesthetic or Tumblr. Like the actual sad girl aesthetic very much minimizes the actual realities of being depressed. And it's almost interesting too because I feel like before I deleted TikTok, I think what was it January, early January, maybe late December, that whole nightstand trend. That was ridiculous. Like, I did not understand that. There was, yeah. like, the pretty nightstand, and there was, like, I'm depressed nightstand. And it's, it's just a nightstand. I don't understand it. Yeah, like, my, my, my nightstand is a mess regardless of my mental health. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like, I just keep things on there. I don't know. It's a nightstand. Like, it's for knickknacks and just, like, yeah, just, like exactly. I don't know. It's just, uh, exactly. So what I think is interesting about the aesthetic is it's also transitioned into affecting music. So several artists in the sad girl indie category have commented on them being grouped into this category. So, for instance, in early 2021, Lucy Dacus tweeted, Sadness can be meaningful, but I got a bone to pick with the sad girl indie genre. Not the music that gets labeled that, but the classification and commodification and perpetual expectation of women's pain. Also, I don't think my songs are sad. Anyways, good morning. And you also have artists like Phoebe Bridgers who spoke to Los Angeles Herald and she said the term was gendered and annoying and it feels like a specific lens and I hate it. In what ways do y'all think the subgenre has limit femme artists and do you think it's exclusionary to other femme artists? Because I feel like when I was doing research in just the genre, Genre as a whole or the subgenre. I, I noticed in one article in particular, there was like discussions of like Ethel Kane. And I barely discovered like Ethel Kane, like when Preacher's Daughter came out. And honestly, I was like, okay, true. Because when I look, when you Google sad girl indie, it's what you expect. Like, yeah, Phoebe Bridgers, Julian Baker, like not even Julian Baker, actually. You see more Lucy Dacus yeah. and like yeah. other artists. I don't, like, what do y'all think of that? I think it just depends on like the ones who get the most attention. Like, I haven't seen Julian Baker blow up on TikTok yet in the way that like Lucy Dacus and Phoebe Bridgers have, but I feel like if like that moment happens, we're gonna see the exact same thing. It just repeats itself. They see all these women as like the same sad girl, regardless of whatever kind of music they make. And I also find it interesting how I mentioned Lucy Dacus, because she did do a playlist takeover.
cover of Spotify's Sad Girl Starter Pack last year promote her song Kissing Lessons, which I found really interesting. Like after she made those comments that she would do the takeover where I found the screenshot where she says Spotify asked me to pick 20 of the songs for this. So maybe she was approached rather than the, like deciding to like make it. But I just find it interesting that she participated at all, like giving, like having given those comments and everything. Because on one hand, I get like needing to promote your music, putting yourself out there, but it's really upsetting if Spotify is asking artists to promote themselves by generalizing themselves in this way. Especially since Kissing Lessons isn't even really a sad song. It's more nostalgic than anything. It's fun. It's got a good beat. It's like, yeah, like it is about like the past or some like longing in there, but it's not by any means like a sad song. It's like a minute and a half and really fun. I think that's interesting too because that's definitely a point that I thought of when I was also like looking into this topic was kind of I mean, you, you have artists that obviously talk about hating being put into this category in this subgenre, but I feel like they also embrace it in a way, but it's also, I feel like they're forced to embrace it in yeah. a sense. Yeah, I feel like that like really has a lot to do with like TikTok and the Spotify algorithm. Cause it's just like, it's like how, how basically like also artists have to make stuff that's like appealing to TikTok now or like be on TikTok and like making TikToks about their own music. And that's like basically like just a game that you have to play if you want to like be like, in like the music scene at this point. It's definitely like an unfortunate reality. Yeah, because like Spotify playlists have like a lot of pull nowadays. Like you get playlisted, then like your song gets a lot more airtime. You get more attention. Think about like the hyperpop playlist and like what that does for like artists who get put on it. Like when a song appears on the hyperpop playlist, it's like a stamp of approval almost. And I feel like with like Sad Girl Indie, like that's like the same way. It's like you get like, even though it's like a generalizing label at the same time, it's you made it, you got like the attention from the people who were putting this unfortunate label on you. So it's like a blessing and a curse. Yeah, it really is like a two-sided thing because it's like, like these artists like Mitski, Phoebe, and like Lucy Dacus, like they do like blow up on TikTok. So it's like all these like new young people are discovering their music, but it's also like people are like kind of reducing them to like the whole sad girl aesthetic. And it's like, like, I don't know. It kind of seems like they're not even really like appreciating what they should be appreciating about the music. Like yeah. it just feels like, I feel like TikTok has the tendency to kind of, I don't know, like, just, what's the word, like, take away the nuance from a lot of the stuff that ends yeah. up on there. Like, it just, like, really, like, turns it into, like, a one-dimensional thing. I think part of that, too, is just the fact that, like, with TikTok, like, most TikTok trends come from kind of decontextualizing a song. There's that one line that goes viral or like that one verse, but like people might not even like know its meaning outside the song if they just hear that part as the TikTok audio. Like I think a Moon song, Phoebe Bridgers, everyone knows the lines, you are sick and you are married and you might be dying, but you're holding me like water in your hands because that's the part that's viral on TikTok. And if you go to like a Phoebe Bridgers concert, which I went to two of them post her TikTok of vacation and people scream those lines, <laughs> really like scream compared to everything else. I remember like during the second time I saw her someone screamed like I love you during a quiet part and it was like really during this time like now it's not time to be heard like it's just like they only pay attention sometimes to the part that's viral and I think that really ruins the like the rest of the song for like the fact that it loses meaning because of that it almost upsets me when you hear a song like on TikTok and when you listen to the full song there's that chunk and you're like you're like it's like when you listen to your alarm when you're not waking right. up like it's like yeah. if someone's alarm goes off during class you get triggered uh, yeah, instantly no, I have to, like stop like using music as an alarm because I was like this is gonna ruin the song for me like I can't do this and that's the exact same thing that I feel like music that's like sampled on TikTok is that just one maybe 30 15 to 30 seconds of just me listening to the full song now and I, I 
small chunk is just, I wouldn't say ruined, it just gives me like a like, I, yeah, like fight no, or really flight, like, like I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's like the whole like, other association. So also while researching this topic, I found articles discussing their music as raw, and I feel that many art- or articles also concluded that labeling these artists' music as raw is diluting and oversimplifying their music as a whole, and as if their music is unprocessed or almost as if the artists did not m- take any artistic action in making this music or their songs. So it's I, I kind of saw a comparison of it being almost as if it was like copy and pasted from a diary. So what do y'all think of this? Of do you think it do you think it oversimplifies their music? This the sad girl indie term. Yeah, this is definitely like a super reductive viewpoint because it's just like suggesting that like oh like these women are so depressed and it's like they're just channeling their depression like into the music that they're making and it's just like no it's that's their art you know like it's like. Sp- they're making stories and like telling stories. It's stuff that they've written. It's not like it's going directly from their brain into the page. They have to like do something to it. Yeah, I kind of agree. Like I've probably used that term like raw, like in passing without thinking to describe lyrics like that. But I don't, I definitely don't think it applies to the music, especially like if you listen to, I don't know, Lucy Dacus' partner in crime. She uses autotune. There's a lot of really complex production there. And even like songs that seem like simple, laid back, maybe just like a guitar like there there's like work that you have to put into to record that and make it sound good anything like that even sounds like simple like it's very hard to record music mm-hmm. and it's very hard to like make art and pour your soul out there and then just like to get reduced to like the single terminology after the fact yeah i think back to like graceland 2 again with like Phoebe bridges and like that song like i don't know it took me like four listens to realize i'm like oh my gosh this is lucy actually in the yeah. background yes like, i don't know why that took me such a long time to like conclude like, i was just like oh this sounds really pretty and then I heard it on my earbuds, like, blast. And I was like, that's Lucy. Yeah. And then I was like, wait a second. And then I just think realizing that, I was like, there was some genuine, I guess, artistry behind that in the sense of what she was trying to accomplish there. Yeah, and I think Punisher as a whole is a very good example of like, why, like, Raw is not a good description here. Like, Punisher opens with DVD menu. You get, like, some really good, like, orchestral bits. You wouldn't call an orchestra Raw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, like, <laughs> you- Raw is, like, interesting here because, like, Punisher is not raw. Like that, it's a very refined album. It's very well cooked. Yeah, it is like like you wouldn't even call it lo-fi. Like maybe if something was lo-fi, you could like get away with calling it raw. But like like the production on like Punisher is like super polished. That is like yeah, that is like a next level production. I remember like the first time I heard I know the end and like hearing like the screams and it was mainly like there's so many people screaming on that song. She she gets like all her friends screaming on that song. Like layers and layers. layers. Like I saw the video where it's just her screaming and it was amazing to like see how they turn that into like this triumphant ending yeah yeah you wouldn't call like i know the end like a like raw or lo-fi or like simple in any way it's a very like you have to get a lot of people together make to make something like that happen punisher especially like that's a very i almost want to say like not not maximalist but definitely like loaded yeah. album and as I far think, as that goes. I feel like not only Punisher, but I can't really think I'm also thinking of like Japanese Breakfast with Jubilee. Like the way they put their songs in that specific order, it like Punisher, I cannot imagine that album in any other order than what it is in. I don't Same. think it would Makes sense. It makes sense perfectly the way it is. It's telling us, like, I just, it yeah. makes sense. Like, I can't unhear it that way. <laughs> Speaking of the other boy genius girls, I also feel that way about Lucy Baker's home video and Julian Baker, Little Oblivions. Julian Baker, it's funny because, like, her first, her first album, Sprained Ankle, for sure, is, like, very, I would say, compared to, like, like the other albums stripped down compared to like let's say like recent Phoebe or recent Lucy it's mostly like her and her guitar that is an album I feel like 
you could call it like raw and it would apply. But then like listening to let's say like Hardline or Faith Healer, those are very like elaborate songs. Yeah, it's I also saw people comparing the whole term of raw to Mitski's her screaming to the guitar during class of 2013. Like I don't know why that's considered raw. Like, I, I just feel like I don't know. I just yeah, I mean, like, I feel like with that, and, like, with, like, Phoebe's screaming, and, like, I know the end, it's, like, you know, the screaming's a deliberate artistic choice. It's not like they were just, like, oh, like, I feel like yeah. screaming now, and they just start screaming in the mic. Like, it's, like, you know, they put it into the song for a reason. It's, like, yeah. part of, like, the completed work. Yeah, like, it's, like, frustration, or it's catharsis. Like, definitely with I Know the End, that is definitely, like, a cathartic moment. And then, again, like, these albums, they're very, like, a lot of times, like, with Punisher and Lucy Dacus' home videos, those are both very conceptual albums to me at least. Caroline, I think, said, like, you cannot imagine any of it in any other order. As far as, like, that, I feel like it also, it kind of just slaps a term on the backs of these artists, and it also, when you're just, let's, let's say you're listening to a song for the first time, and for instance, like, first time I heard Class 2013, I was just like, oh, like, there, obviously you have that initial thought, like, this is raw, and she's just, like, doing this, and it's just this thing. And then, you, I feel like most people don't get past that point sometimes and realize and start thinking, what is this about? What is she saying? What is she thinking? What is she, you know, I feel like people don't get past that point yeah. of just slapping raw on it and then just moving along. Yeah, like class 2013, like that's about like longing. It's about kind of like this fear for like the future. A very, it's very layered. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say complex because like I don't want to be like, to be fair, I have a very high, you have to have a very high IQ to understand Mitski. <laughs> but like, don't simplify her. Like, like try to at least like think about like the idea is like she's trying to convey instead of just being like well this is sad and then like chuck it into the same pile with a million other songs you could technically call sad but like they're more than that they deserve to be seen as more than that and what do y'all think I, I saw someone text in the in the afterglow chat about like Mitski's possible quitting of music and all oh, of that yeah. and the TikTok like what do y'all think of that yeah I don't know I mean like I would be sad obviously but like I would be happy for her you know like at yeah. this point like she needs to do what's best for her if she likes making music and being on tour then like she should be able to to do that without people disrespecting her and like letting her do her thing but also like if she wants to like retire from music and enjoy like the royalty checks from tiktok or whatever like she should she's earned it like she has like a really good catalog of work out there not to like artists owe us more music or anything but like we have a lot of great music from her if that's like not something she finds joy anymore she shouldn't feel like she has to do it because of this algorithm that wants her to push out content or whatever yeah i mean i feel like i guess the sad part of it is that i feel like it really is the fans that have been like part of it that have pushed her to like quit music which like obviously this is just speculation like it's not like she said anything about it but it's just like the way she's been treated by fans like ever since she got popular on tiktok has like not been great and like you know everyone got so mad at her saying that like she didn't even say people shouldn't record she was just like i would appreciate if you were like if you try to be more in the moment you know and not be recording the whole time yeah. but then like who was it it was like harry styles or someone who said like basically the same thing and everyone was like praising him and it was like Mitski said this and like y'all were like so mad she had to like delete her tweets like leave yeah. twitter she it wasn't even like her tweet it was like someone like from Mitski yeah, like yeah. like she did not she probably wasn't even one typing on twitter she probably does not have the app on her phone and then people were saying like well like I, I remember seeing someone calling her ableist for saying that yeah I saw like I will say this as someone with ADHD who is guilty of being on their phone a little too much at concerts to like record songs I like I was like yeah you know she made a valid point I should be on my phone less during concerts like it doesn't she she wasn't saying people who record concerts should die or 
whatever. Like, she just said, like, hey, just be aware of the fact that you record at concerts and try not to do it, which is, like, a valid thing to say. Yeah, no, she didn't even say, like, don't record. She was just, like, I would appreciate if you would, like, try to be more present, you know? Like, I would appreciate if, like, like, this is, like, our moment together, and it would be nice to, like, try to enjoy that moment while it's I feel like it's, like, the same thing. Like, they they treat her tweets the same way they treat her songs, where, like, they read them at, like, the very face level, and they don't actually think about what's being said. And I think, I don't know what y'all think about this, but I also saw this a lot in the articles, too, about, for instance, like, Mitski and also, like, Michelle's Honor of Japanese Breakfast, and the talking about how we've kind of poken these women of color when, I mean, if I really think about it, we also have, like, Arlo Parks, and she's not really put in that category either, and I feel like maybe there's not a lot of women of color in this subgenre either, and do y'all have an opinion on that or thoughts? It's okay if you don't, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I feel like Mitski and Japanese Breakfast, like, Michelle's Honor, definitely both, like, benefit from being, like, Waysian. Being, like, more white definitely helps them just, like... Gain advantage in that category. Yeah, pretty much. Because, like, you're right, you don't see, like, black or, like, Hispanic artists in that category, really. Who is being put in this box yeah, is it's, confusing to it me. Does I feel like, like it's really arbitrary what, like, who gets put into that group, but yeah, yeah go ahead. And I feel like it's fine to call, like, a song sad if you feel sad listening to it. It's just, like, just because you hear one song and think it's sad doesn't mean you should label the, the artist's entire body of work as that. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then going off of that, too, I definitely think it is mostly, like, white girls who do this, who, like, put this commodity on these artists. And, yeah, it's mostly, like, I would say, like, a white girl on white girl problem. (laughs) Except for, like, yeah, with, like, Mitsuki and Japanese Breakfast, the other, like, artists who, like, yeah, they're people of color, but they still, like, even then, their their music gets, like, whitewashed almost. Like, I've seen so many, like, edits on TikTok where people will be lip-syncing to your best American girl, not really understanding, like, how it relates to, like, Mitsuki's identity. Yeah, exactly. I feel like so many people, that happens a lot with Mitsuki's music, where, like, also with Strawberry Blonde, that's, like, a really big one. (laughs) Oh, my God, that song with the cottage. Yeah, no, it's so bad. Awful. Like, yeah. That was like, I like the song, and like, I think it's fine to like enjoy the song and like appreciate the song, but you should still just like be aware of the perspective it's coming from, understand the meaning. Like, I love your best American girl. Like, yeah, I'm a white woman. It's not about my experiences. I think it's a good song. I, kn- I know the like meaning behind it, and I'm like respectful, but I don't try to like project onto it. Yeah, no, I feel like a lot of white women need to learn that like not everything is about their experiences. I feel like a key part of enjoying music for me, something I really love about about Mitski's music is how she like she's so good at like expressing emotions in her music that like she can get you to feel like things that aren't relatable to you yeah. because like I'll listen to her song and it'll be like wow this is like a completely unrelatable experience but like I'm like crying right now and it's I don't know I feel like a lot of people like see it's like I'm gonna like go on a little bit of a tangent yeah, but, but like yeah, yeah but I like can... it's kind of like the same as like people like being like so mad when like Turning Red came out and they were like it's like I can't relate to this because it's like an Asian it's like about an Asian girl and it's like why do you like need them to be like why do you need to make it about you you know like why can't you just like enjoy this story about like someone else who isn't you that is a very good point yeah like I like Mitski's music because I get like insight into experiences that I haven't had maybe like I feel similar about them but I haven't had those exact experiences and it's like kind of nice to know what they're like see like what that is like yeah Yeah, I think it's always valid to like have your own interpretation of things you know like I support like death of the author and all that but I think like you can like interpret things your own way and like relate to them in your own way as long as you like acknowledge like the point that the original purpose especially when it comes to stuff with Mitski's stuff which is like clearly like influenced by her own 
experiences as like a woman of color that's like important and like that's not something that should, that's something that should just be erased yeah at the same time like also like not all of Minsky's songs like may have happened to her like some of her songs like I don't know for sure like obviously her experiences and stuff she hasn't like to me and my husband like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she hasn't been married and, like she's allowed to like like imagine like these stories and just like tell stories and have us like listen to them yeah that's another thing like when people are like calling these like raw or like confessional and it's like are you like listening to her music like so much of Be the Cowboy is like well Be the Cowboy to me kind of feels like a bunch of like vignettes about like kind of like separate stories like about like different people and like different characters she's kind of exploring so it's like I don't know it's like interesting when people like say like it's like oh like it's so personal when it's I don't know like are you saying that because it really is personal or because she's a woman I think it's also weird that people want to make it to the artist like this song is personal to their experience I think it's weird because it's almost it's almost in a way like fetishizing them like I want her to yeah. like I don't want to explain it like I saw uh, Frances Lord like on a Seth Meyers interview and she was talking about she's like my fans for some reason think that my songs are all like they think they know what they mean but sometimes I'm just telling stories like yeah. I'm just they're not even about me like I'm just saying things and I feel that's another point like you know people think like me and my husband like you know what I mean like you should, yeah. it doesn't need to be about her if she just wants to tell a story we need to stop fetishizing the artist and being like they're going through the struggle and like it's good to acknowledge it but it's also in a sense that's just sometimes the artist is just putting out art and it's yeah. not about them and I feel like sometimes like people with music specifically especially like very like confessional sounding music people expect it all to be like a diary people think it's all except it happened like you don't like read like a fictional book and then be like hmm you know like reading I'm trying to think of like a good ridiculous example here <laughs> to get the point across I don't know you don't read like Percy Jackson and think like wow Rick Ray Order must have really like Wrong. learned a lot going to summer camp as a demigod <laughs> yeah see that's like the frustrating thing to be so, like this like doesn't happen to male artists like no one's like oh like poor baby Alex G He's so sad. Oh, uh, you know, like... <laughs> but they're also not judged as much either. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you don't see pop punk playlists called angry boy music. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's why I saw, like, a lot of it just being a gender term. Because I feel like... But the thing is... Personally, I did feel like on the radios in the two, 2010s and the 2000s, it was John Mayer and like, we get it, you're sad. Like, honestly, it personally annoyed me, the breakup songs that men would write. But like, yeah. at the same time, I guess it's somewhat valid, but also they don't get labeled like sad boy. Like, does John, is John Mayer sad boy music? I don't know. <laughs> is sad boy music even a thing? I also don't know that. I've definitely heard like the term sad boy thrown around, but it's usually like, more of like, 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 like an emo way. Yeah, yeah. People don't, like, it. people seem to like be like, okay with it. Like, the, the only times I've really heard it used are people referring to themselves, which I feel like is fine. I don't really know enough about the subject to like go deep Me into either. it. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like if there's a playlist called like Fierce Femmes and not one called like Menacing Men, like <laughs> the, the, there's kind of a problem going on. <laughs> also just going forward, I, I think also it's almost kind of going back to the point of like listeners expecting something from artists. Again, back to this commodity. So it's they feel entitled to that artist's music and they feel that if almost as if the sound changes a little bit, it yeah. pisses them off. Like fan bases will get so angry about that. And I know like Lord isn't a indie artist but like the same thing with her transition from pure heroin melodrama to solar power like i don't understand what people expected she's 25 now she wrote pure heroin when she was 15 like yeah. obviously there was some change within that time it's been like 10 years and yeah. i feel like she can put whatever she wants out and same thing with these other artists too they can put whatever they want out it's their music and we're not entitled to it we just get that gift in a sense and i guess kind of like what do y'all think of that are we entitled to their music or 
do you no. think we are I mean, obviously we're not, but I'm just yeah. making sure. Um, but are we entitled also to feedback on their albums and being like harsh and rude? But also, I mean, or should we let artists control their own narrative? I think like when we like critique music, it should be like constructive. Like it shouldn't be just like mean for the sake of being mean. Like if there's a reason that like I dislike an album, like I'll say like why I dislike it and not just being like this artist is terrible and like no like elaboration on that but also i think we should make sure like criticism gets like left on the art and not the artist like just because an artist made a song i don't like doesn't mean they're like a criminal or something i will say like hot take i liked laurel hell i don't know why people did not like it i liked it yeah. i don't i stand I by that it. i'm embarrassed by it sometimes i'm like i liked it but i know like all the subredditors are like no it's terrible yeah. well i don't know see i it's definitely not my favorite mitsuki album yeah. but like it's good like it's a good album i think it's really cool that yeah, she did like something new like some, like 80s yeah ways. no a lot of that yeah. stuff is like really cool on there it's like yeah. like i'm really glad she actually took that direction yeah it's a very fun album i like like kind of like the new wavy vibes to it and I definitely think, though, because it's such, a, like, a fun, dancey album, even though it has, like, those more, like, melancholic, emotional moments, it's very hard to label something that sounds so fun as, like, sad, which is what people expect of Mitski, even though she has lots of fun songs that came before that. And well, then yeah. people just, like, or at least fun-sounding. And then Bobby, people just, yeah. like, don't know what to make of it. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's always interesting to me, specifically Mitski getting, getting labeled as, like, the token sad girl because i don't know a lot of her songs like aren't, aren't that they're sad, sad yeah like yeah they're not that sad sounding and also the themes aren't that sad or i mean it's not that they aren't sad but i would say like i wouldn't say human. sad yeah exactly yeah. like i wouldn't consider the primary emotion of like a lot of her songs to be sad she sometimes like these songs just about like imagining experiences and like and like kind of like dealing with feelings not necessarily in like a sad way just like in like a making art creative way and i feel like also like besides Mitski too there's like that the whole Phoebe thing too and I I mean I don't know I saw the whole rumors about the next album and stuff like that but I feel like for her I know that after doing Kyoto she really wants to do she said she would like to do more rock and like punk sounding songs and I would like and welcome that too but I also feel like people are going to subject her to her folksy sound yeah. forever yeah. no that would be really I, cool I didn't know that but like I would be looking mm -hmm. forward to that I feel like Phoebe could make like a metal album she and could people, make anything people would be like <laughs> wow she, she's so sad that tortured raw scream <laughs> yeah like people would always find a way to spin it back around to like the songs they generalize her for yeah i mean yeah they definitely already did that with mitski yeah, yeah they would do the same with phoebe and then even like phoebe's like older songs like i feel like the songs people label as like sad whatever sometimes they're not even like the most tear-jerking emotional ones and then also just she has some songs that are about like joy and like co complex feelings and like uncertainty like i really like chinese satellite because that's like a song just about this uncertainty and like wanting to be believe in something i wouldn't call it a sad song even though like it is like a feeling like of sadness it's, it's like a yeah it's a very i would say like, introspective just like almost like a this is gonna sound really pretentious like like a spiritual like soul searching song with that at the same time like again they're just stories they're also i think again my the problem with the sad girl indie term i feel like is that half of these songs again like mitski's hebe's are not sad they're just songs that are human and they're about human emotion that's also i yeah. feel like 
where people do that raw term and all of that but at the same time I feel like it's just maybe not touched as much because I feel like our generation at least I wouldn't yeah maybe our generation more like I grew up listening to the radio and I feel like I had a very general generic taste in music up until like middle school when Spotify finally became a thing up until that point I don't think many of the songs made me think that much and I feel like these do and they also have stories and they're human stories that can happen to anybody and I like how there obviously is that relatable sense for some people versus others but I feel like I mean you don't see me I didn't necessarily feel that connection with like Katy Perry's firework or anything <laughs> but you know like again it's just a human story but I, it's just so interesting to me how we label it sad when it's just human it's something that everybody or not everybody but some people go through it's just a it's a story yeah like Graceland too another like I wouldn't call it sad like it's still a song to me like about like friendship and like she like even though for some reason that song like makes me more emotional than any of the other songs on Punisher even though it's not, probably not one that you would consider like sad but like it's just a very real song to me like I can visualize everything so clearly like even though I don't listen to like Elvis and like I don't know Julian Baker in real life like I can just like imagine that song it's like Phoebe sings it so clearly and it just makes me feel like something like I can't really describe but it just it feels really real like the way she narrates yeah I really feel the same way about that song because you're right it's like not the saddest song on that album but it's it is just like so beautifully written like the lyrics and like the songwriting and everything it's just it does it makes me feel emotions and it's like I don't know I feel like like sad is not the only emotion yeah. but people are just like oh this is like this is emotional it must be sad girl yeah, and it's know. like no one ever talks about how horny Mitski is you know like <laughs> she really is because I'm like mom Close your ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they probably associate sadness with, like, low, like, horniness. So yeah. it makes sense that they would, like, disregard all of that. Like, they have this very curated image of a sad girl, and anything that doesn't fit it, they just, like, I feel like close, it's like, if, if it doesn't fit the image of sad girl, like, people just, like, close their ears. Yeah. And then, like, I feel like, especially like, going back to TikTok, like, it's cherry-picking the parts that you consider, like, sad and, like, are easiest to generalize and decontextualize. Yeah, I, I feel like the the picking again. I'm gonna go back to picking on the TikTok song, like because Phoebe Stranger in the Alps, um, Scott Street. Yes. That part at the end, I liked that part until tick like and again. It feels like I'm listening to the sound of my alarm in the middle of a class. It just triggers me. I'm like, I can't enjoy it anymore. It upsets me. Um, but I guess kind of again like talking again how people expect this of artists and like it's all it's almost like there's again entitlement of listeners to expect what they want from artists and like we're just consumers and we're not we're forgetting that they're artists and we're they're not just a person making something and putting it out and we're just consuming it and it's just this yeah. feedback loop and forever going like it's not that yeah it's like make this marketable soundness image that fits our playlist and then like at the same time with all these rumors that a new Phoebe album like she doesn't owe us a new album but because like we've been like taught to expect like artists like release albums have these eras and cycles every year like it's been three years since the last one like yeah is it probably likely that she'll release an album soon I don't know but like judging by past patterns yeah but like that doesn't mean like it, it's ready to go, go out and speculate about like when the next one is like she doesn't owe us another one she's working on an album with Boy Genius right now she's got a very busy touring schedule like let her rest she's a person yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. I feel like a lot of this has like has to do with like the rise of the social media age where like, I don't know, people just expect celebrities to be like available to them, like to the fans like 24-7. Because I feel like with the rise of social media, there's like so much less of a disconnect between celebrities and their fans. So it kind of makes fans feel like they're more entitled to like things that celebrities do, even though they really still like don't owe them anything. Like the Phoebe, yeah. uh, Paul Maskell, like the whole relationship. Oh, like yeah. it's nobody's <laughs> business. I like, like she can do whatever she wants. Yeah, leave it alone. Between them, if like that's it, between her if and it him. It comes up in like music or art or whatever. Like I'll listen to it. it's fine. But, like it's not like something I was there to dissect. I don't really care about artist personal life. Like as long as it doesn't, as long as like obviously it's not like something like terrible happened or something. Like <laughs> obviously if an artist committed crimes, I care about that. But like if like an artist had like a messy breakup, it's like I don't really care. Like I just it it doesn't really matter to me. Like their personal business is not my business, and mm-hmm. I don't think it's something we should like speculate on like about their art or whatever and same goes for like kind of like taylor swift where like i feel like she's kind of opened herself up to this a lot more just by releasing I, so much music in the post in the, the way last she's so years like, she's very marketable the way she markets her posts and she, all the easter eggs i feel like yeah. a lot of that kind of drove what people think all artists are like yeah. we expect all sorts of Easter eggs. Like not and everything, all of that. and even with Taylor Swift, like stop reading into it. <laughs> like even with Taylor Swift, like if she wears purple or wears her hair a certain way, people maybe like go, oh, "It's just like this era. We're getting this era Taylor's version next." And I'm like, she just released a bunch of albums. Like she did two re-recordings last year or year before last, and she released Midnight's. Like <laughs> even she's a very busy person. Like she obviously like she's like one of the biggest pop stars in the world, but like she's still a person who has a very busy schedule and doesn't owe you anything, even though she seems like very relatable and like like she's definitely like probably yeah like by like her image and everything I don't know her in real life but like she does seem like someone I'd like to hang out with but that doesn't mean that like I get to like demand things of her like she's someone I know because I don't know her mm-hmm. kind of almost wrapping up what do y'all think the future of sad girl India is do you think it'll ever die or do you think it'll die when social media dies I don't know if that ever will happen but what do you see this jo- subgenre what do you see the outlook looking like in I guess the next I guess five to ten years uh, I don't know. I mean, considering, like, what we were talking about earlier about the sad girl thing being, like, really popular on Tumblr in, like, the early 2010s, kind of seems like it's, like, a cycle. It's, like, it kind of is, like, in fashion, and then people realize, oh, this isn't that great, so then it kind of, like, fades away again. And then, like, years later, like, the new generation of, like, teen girls discovered, and they're, like, bring back the sad girl aesthetic. So, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe we're at the point where like, people are going to start realizing that they shouldn't be, like, commodifying artists in this way, and maybe it's going to be, like... It's it's gonna die out a little bit because I feel like we've kind of like reached a like, pretty big peak of like sad girl like within like the past year or so. So like I wouldn't be surprised if it started dying out, but I also don't think it's something that's ever gonna go away permanently. Yeah, especially I feel like it never like the first iteration. I never really felt like went away. Like I was like still like listening to Lana in like 2017, and even though like yeah, like not all of her music is sad. Like there's still definitely like there are always going to be people who like make generalizations about art, and that's never really gonna go away. It's just like we went from sad girl pop with Lana and Marina in the early 2010s. Now we have sad girl indie with Boy Genius, Mitski in the 2020s, and I feel like it's just gonna like expand maybe to like possibly like other 
marketable genres, but it's definitely going to get worse with social media being so popular. And I don't really have an issue with songs getting popular on social media. I don't think there's any shame in discovering music on TikTok that you like, but it does upset me just to see context being removed from like songs and then artists getting generalized. Like it's fine to enjoy a song and spread that 15 second segment around on TikTok and everything. As long as you just like know that it's like also like still a full, there's maybe a full three or four minutes of music in there that like is worth listening to and not like generalizing as sad girl music. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like you can do a whole other podcast about how TikTok has ruined society. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know. Like, it's just, like, you can't, like, convey nuanced ideas in, like, the, like, however many seconds, like, TikTok gives you. Like, it's just, like, I don't know. I feel like they, TikTok they has... They gave us, like, 10 minutes now, and we still can't do it. Yeah, but it's, like, I feel, most TikToks are, like, less than a minute. It's, like, like go back to YouTube. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I don't know. I feel like it's just, like, no one, like, knows nuance anymore. Like, people are just, like, like, I don't know. There's just, like, so much, like, service level stuff on TikTok. Like, so much, like... Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even think it's exclusive to TikTok. Like, I see it all the time on Twitter, on Instagram. Yeah. Like, okay, Twitter is also bad because of like the, um, the echo chambers. Twitter is yeah. bad because of like character limits. Like you can only say so many things, then someone's gonna take your words out of context. And then Instagram is bad because like a picture can only tell like so many words, and sometimes that picture is heavily edited and not. So social media is bad in a lot of ways. It's probably only gonna get worse from here. And yeah. but the least we can do is like remember that reality is also like there, and that social media isn't the entire world. I feel like COVID might have also made it worse in a way, yeah. just because like people lived like, their whole lives online. Yeah. yeah. But, like, main, the main thing is just, like, it's fine to be online. There's nothing wrong with, like, using TikTok, listening to music on it and everything. Just remember that, like, there's a greater context. There's, like, more to what every art than what you generalize of it. Yeah, you know, I'm, like, really glad I was, like, 18 when the pandemic started because I feel like, I feel like the people who are, like, a few years younger than us really, oh, like, got it yeah. the worst. Like, they're, like, most formative years were, like, you know, yeah. spent, like, indoors on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> I'm scared, but I, I mean, we're, I think we're all technically the same generation as, like, 2006, 2007. Yeah, I'm not really I don't sure. know when it ends, because yeah. it's 1996 it, it, to 2006, like, I'm assuming. I, guess, I don't know, I'm just I guessing. Like, I think, yeah, because I think Alpha starts in, like, the early 2010s. Yeah, I'm not I really think, sure, but there's definitely a very big gap between older Gen Z and younger Gen Z. Oh, yeah. And I think that main part of the gap is, like, did most of high school, like, on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think the youngest Gen Z might be, like, 12 or 13 now, something mm, like that, which is yeah. crazy because if you're like born in like 2010, you're like 12 or 13 now. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're like in a weird spot where it's like I, I did grow up, like I'm not gonna lie, I would obviously, I think I at some point was ignorant and did probably commodify music in that sense, and like yeah. not even just Sad Girl, just probably all of it. And I feel like now I can kind of appreciate, and I, I guess I went on my own little pilgrimage of like deciding like what music I like and like deciding like that I was gonna learn about these artists and learn about what these songs mean and like yeah. read the lyrics actually, like I've Google the lyrics. made a couple of TikToks to Phoebe Bridger songs. <laughs> and like, but I was doing it like just like having fun on the internet, which I think is like a fine thing to do. I feel like there's a difference between like making a fun video, like use, using artist music and everything, and then like generalizing an artist into something that they are not. Yeah, I feel like there's, like, nothing wrong inherently with, like, using TikTok and, like, the way that TikTok works. But it's just, like, a lot of people, like, younger people haven't really, like, developed the capacity to, like, distinguish... what they want. Yeah, Yeah. between, like, TikTok and real life. Yeah, especially since, like, TikTok was, like, all of social life for, like, two years. Like, I, like, let people enjoy things, but you should, like, respect the things while you're enjoying them. Yeah, and I feel like I also, I meant to add on, I don't know if I said this earlier, but I I did also see an article, and I might have been also that Los Angeles Herald article, but maybe another one, but uh, Phoebe was also talking 
talking about how she doesn't want to come across as romanticizing mental illness. And I feel like people do that a lot now, especially on TikTok and stuff like that. And yeah. kind of like, I'm depressed. And it's like, well, are you? Because I feel like sometimes it's romanticizing it. And I'm like, it makes me question it now. But at the same time, like, they're valid to say that if they do feel that way. But also, I feel like the way you're saying it is almost romanticizing it sometimes when people post it. And they're like, the same thing back to the... Um, Back to the side table desk. What was it? The, the, the nightstand. Back to that. Exactly. Like, I, I'm questioning. I'm like, but I also feel like that's, again, like, my consumer questioning constantly everything, like, back to the just going through social media and stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely, like, agree with you on that. Like, I don't think any Phoebe Bridgers music really romanticizes, like, her experiences or the situations that she chooses to write about. But if you take, like, lines out of context, then, like, yeah, it does become something, like, romantic. Like, I've definitely seen people romanticize moon song in a way that I don't think Phoebe would have like intended mm-hmm. and like I'm not trying to like, project onto her like songwriting writing or whatever but like when you take when you remove like the context from a song like a situation like it's gonna like get twisted and I feel like that's something that happens to like all art in general but especially with like such like layered material to, to deal with it's kind of just sad to see it happen yeah I feel like there's definitely a difference between just talking about like mental illness and like romanticizing it because like I feel like there's a way well I guess it's like kind of like what we were talking about about how like just like reducing things to like aesthetics or like removing like the nuance from things because I feel like there's like if you just like look at like the aesthetics of sadness and you're like oh I'm so sad like look at how sad my nightstand is it's like you're not really saying anything you're just like trying to like make an aesthetic out of like what you perceive to be like sadness or like depression and it's there's like a way to talk about depression yeah to like where you actually say something about it yeah and like yeah I feel like like, when like if you really want to say something about like depression you talk about like either like hey it's okay to have these feelings they're valid to go through with it and like here's like how you can like come out of it but I feel like a lot of like the emphasis people put on this sad girl image is they don't want the music to come out of it they want to like maintain this aesthetic of the sad girl when in reality like that is not like a healthy long-term role to have yeah I think that really is like the issue with a lot of this because it's there's like there really is no issue in like talking about like the way that depression affects you but it's just like a lot of people will like romanticize it romanticize it to the point where they refuse to heal because like yeah, yeah. and it's like obviously like healing like isn't easy but it's there's a difference between like wanting to heal and just like straight up being like so closed off to the yeah, possibility sidelines i remember like seeing tiktoks where people were like oh no she's not sad anymore and i'm like um <laughs> she can do whatever she wants it's also like the song is very melancholy because even though it's like a like a happy song about good experiences there's kind of like still like this longing behind it for like the time that she like wasn't like living this way and like it still feels very much like a fever song she didn't pull 180 on us and start making bubblegum pop or something but then like the second an artist deviates from this sad girl commodity that like they've created in their head will get defensive and it's like really bothersome because like you don't want to force someone into the sad girl position like you don't you shouldn't want somebody to feel like they're stuck in this like rut Well, that is all the time we have for today about our discussion of why listeners need to stop commodifying Sad Girl Indie. If you like what you heard, you can visit us at AfterglowATX.com. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, see ya.